you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. This morning we'll be reading Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith, Like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. This is the word of the Lord. I would suggest that there is probably no word that is more abused than the word faith. I saw a movie just in the past few days, my kids were watching a movie, and as I was listening in, there was a a scene where... uh, where the two heroes were facing an, an impossible situation and, and things were just terrifying and, and one of them is saying, I just don't know how this is going to work out and the other one's trying to encourage her and says, well, you just, have, you just have to have faith about these things. I couldn't believe it. Like, That's not how that works. There was another movie recently where one character was encouraging the other, if you have enough faith, you can do it. You just have to keep believing. Keep believing and it'll work. As if the faith was what would change reality. But even worse than that, many claiming to teach in God's name treat faith as if it's some kind of energy source or or superpower that we can build up, store up, and access and, and release and use at will. The idea that we are taught is that faith is a power to make the impossible happen. So I ask, where do we get this idea? And is there any truth to it? This Hollywood storybook definition or description of faith doesn't actually fit very well with the Bible's narrative. And so today we're going to look at one story about faith and ask a few questions about what the Bible has to teach us regarding this misunderstood and misused word. The first question we are faced with is why is faith needed? Why is faith needed? Now, as we've been doing lately, we we have to back up a little bit in in sequence to see the context of what's happening. Uh, We looked last week at how Jesus had taken three of His disciples, Peter, James, and John, and taken them up a a hill or a mountain where they saw Jesus transformed before their very eyes. He he was transfigured. His glory was revealed to them. And with Him was, was Moses and Elijah. And they heard the very voice of God speaking to them out of the glory cloud. Meanwhile, as it is said, meanwhile, back on the ranch, at the bottom of the mountain, the people are gathering. And they want to see Jesus. They want to receive His power. They want to be healed by Him. And they're bringing their sick and their suffering. And, and the, the disciples who had not been included in that mountaintop vision, are, they're ministering to the crowds. Presumably, continuing the ministry Jesus had given them to heal and to, to minister and restore. When Jesus and Peter, James, and John returned down from the mountain, uh, and the people see them, the, one, of, one of the men approaches Jesus. And in verse 15, we see, he says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures. He suffers terribly, 
often he falls into the fire and often into the water. Jesus goes on to heal the boy. But the way that Matthew describes the healing is interesting. What was the problem? The, the manifest problem was seizures. He was, he was having seizures. But what Jesus does in verse 18 is he rebukes the demon and it comes out of the boy and the boy was healed instantly. Let me be very, very careful here. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. And I don't want you to read something that's not in this text because there are some dangerous and some unbiblical conclusions you can draw from this story. Because in this particular case, the boy's physical illness was the result of a spiritual attack. And Jesus healed him by casting out the demon. That does not mean, therefore, that every illness, either mental or physical, is a case of direct demonic influence or attack. We see plenty of cases in Scripture where Jesus is healing those who are sick and suffering, even like this boy, healing people. And there's no mention of demonic power, no casting out of demons. He simply heals them because sometimes a sickness is just a sickness. And a sickness can be healed. So we're not saying, Matthew's not saying, I'm not saying that every illness is the result of the forces of evil at work conspiring through demonic power. However, having set that aside, what we can conclude is that there is more going on in the world than meets the eye. Literally, there is more going on in the world than you can see, than you or I are able to see. Faith is needed because our understanding of the world is limited. We have too limited an ability to perceive the world around us. In, in William Shakespeare's play Hamlet, there's a, a scene where main character Hamlet has had a, a supernatural, weird, crazy experience. And he's try, he tells it to his friend Horatio. And Horatio responds with some doubt. That's truly amazing. But it's not like, hey, that's, that's amazing. It's more like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. That's truly hard to believe. And Hamlet responds by saying, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophies. In other words, don't be so arrogant as to think that you've got it all figured out and that everything that can be known and perceived is something that you have access to. I mean, it wasn't long ago, wasn't that many years, hundreds of years ago, that, that the idea of germs was... was inconceivable to the modern person. If there's something beyond our physical perception that affects our health and our life and the world around us, that's ridiculous. There are things that we do not see and perceive that affect our reality. Now, Christians, especially in our day and age, in the scientific and materialistic world we live in, we can fall into the trap of thinking that because we know so much, because so much of the world has been discovered and uncovered to us, and we've, we've seen things from down to the most minute particle up to the greatest galaxies and universes, we think that because the, the scope of our understanding has increased so much, therefore we know all that can be known. I praise God for the genius of scientific advances, and there is no contradiction and no real conflict between science and faith. But there are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your or my philosophies. This is why the Bible describes faith in this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 18. Paul says, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The problem is not just that we don't see the things God sees. The problem is also that the things we do see in the world can deceive us. Not long ago, I went to the Martin County Fair. 
took my kids. They, they had a great time, more so than I did in one particular area, the Hall of Mirrors. I hate this thing. I don't know what cruel person devised this. And I know I'm not the only one because mine weren't the only face marks at this level on all the mirrors that you walk into, thinking you're going the right way and just, ugh, just smash yourself. My kids loved it. I didn't. What I needed was somebody who could look down from above at the maze and tell me where to turn and what to do. And that's what faith is. Faith accesses the God's eye view of the world. He says, no, this is reality. This is what's really going on. And it's not exactly what you are seeing and experiencing. My bruised nose warned me again and again not to listen only or trust only my eyes. Our bruised hearts remind us again and again that what you see and understand of the world is not all there is to it. Living by faith means that we accept God's description of reality above our own understanding. The disciples were faced with a boy suffering from an apparent physical affliction. Jesus recognized that there was more there to deal with. Something that was not apparent to the eyes. How quick are we to jump to conclusions or to jump to solutions based on what we see and perceive of a problem and not consider that there is a reality unseen to us but known by God. It may be as simple as knowing that in the midst of an argument with a a child, a friend, a neighbor, a spouse, recognizing that there's more going on than you see, more than you think. There is a spiritual battle in their hearts that needs to be dealt with and addressed. There's a spiritual battle in your heart that's coming into play in the words you speak and the words they hear. And so our response in the midst of a situation should be different than the way the world would respond. When someone insults us or speaks harshly to us, we recognize there is more happening than we see. It could be that you're trying to make a financial decision and you're looking at markets and budgets and goals But there is a profound spiritual component to such decisions as well. An angle that's not going to appear on a balance sheet, but which is nevertheless a real and decisive factor. The question of stewardship and the issue of of the, the hold that money has on your heart. It may not be the case that every illness is a demonic attack or every situation we face is not necessarily a demonic situation. But we must remember that our bodies, though physical, our lives, though physical and material and social, are not merely physical and material and social. There is more. The one who made us, the one who keeps us alive, ought to be in the conversation at all times. When we have health concerns, when we have relationship concerns, when we have money concerns, whatever it is, We need faith because we don't see the whole story. I am thankful for the healing power of medicine. But I am sad that it builds up in my own mind a tendency to first reach for a bottle of pills instead of to pray when faced with illness. The person of faith will do both. will recognize that there is more to the situation. So the first question about faith here is why is faith needed? And the answer is we need faith. Because God alone sees all that is happening. God alone understands 
truly. And so in Proverbs 3, we are reminded, lean not on your own understanding. Very often we go into frustrating situations, confusing situations, or just everyday situations, leaning on our own understanding. But the eyes of faith will look to the direction that God gives. However, the main problem of the story is not what's actually happening with, happening with the boy. The main problem is that the disciples haven't been able to help. We see in verses 15 and 16, the father saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Earlier in Matthew's Gospel, we saw that Jesus, in sending his disciples out, had actually given them the power to address this situation. In Matthew 10, verse 1, Jesus called to him his twelve disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So whether it was a physical thing only or whether it was a spiritual thing, Jesus had given them the power and the authority to do something. And yet they can't do it. After Jesus heals the boy, the disciples want to understand. And so in verse 19, they come to Jesus privately and they say, why could we not cast it out? I appreciate the details that were given here. Uh, the disciples wait until they have Jesus alone. Because they want to talk about their failure, but they don't want to talk about it in front of everybody else. You know, just another example for me of how real and human and genuine the, the scriptural accounts are. I can relate to the shame and the confusion and the frustration of what I asked God to do, He didn't do. How many times have you held back from praying you know, in a group of other people, you want to pray for something boldly. But you're ashamed or afraid that if you pray for it and God doesn't answer, won't you look like a fool? Can you relate? Can you understand how the disciples are feeling? They tried something. They tried to, to do something for God. And it didn't happen. Well, Jesus tells them what happened. Verse 20, He said to them, it was because of your little faith. One way of reading that is to, to read it as, you need a certain quantity of faith to do this. And you didn't have enough faith. You, your faith was at about a level three, and I needed you at least at a seven to handle this. You know, that's, that's how we'll read this passage and come away with a view of faith that sees it as a sort of substance or something that can be measured. And we need to have a certain amount to get the job done. But that's not what Jesus means here by little faith. You can see that in part because in verse 17, he describes the problem not as little faith, but as a lack of faith. Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? This has been an issue with the disciples for some time now. Just in the past few chapters of Matthew's Gospel, we've seen that as they're on the boat, facing the storm, and Jesus walks on the water to them, and they're panicking in the midst of the storm, Jesus eventually gets to them and He says, Oh, you of little faith. And another time, they're in a boat again, and uh, lots of bad things happen for the disciples in boats, I guess. Um, they're in a boat again, and, and they're with Jesus, and they, having already seen Jesus multiply bread for thousands of people, the, the little group of 12 or so of them have one loaf of bread, and they're worried it's not enough. And Jesus said, why do you have such little faith? See, when Jesus says to the disciples they have little faith, He's not speaking about the quantity, the amount of his faith. He's speaking about the lack of it. He's saying, look, you just don't have it. You don't believe who I am. You don't understand and believe and trust what I've done and what I'm capable of. 
The problem isn't a small amount of faith. The problem is the absence of it. So it would be easy to see this kind of story of the casting out of the demon. Like, uh, have you ever been trying to open a jar and the lid is just on there so tight and you're, you're straining and you're putting all your muscle into it? And then you ask somebody else to help and then they come in and, and you pop. You know, you, we've all been there. And what's the problem? I loosened it for you. Now, you, know, you had strength, but not enough strength to get the job done. If it had been a different jar, maybe you would have been able to get it open. But, but then somebody else comes in and with their greater strength. And it'd be easy to read this story as the disciples had faith, but it was little faith, and they couldn't get the jar open. And Jesus comes in with his great and mighty faith. He believes more, and so he can do it. And he casts out the demon. But that is not how faith works. That's not how faith works. So when Jesus says their failure is due to their little faith, he's not talking about the amount. He's talking about the presence or the lack of it. But let's be real. How can we say that about the disciples? They were trying. They were attempting something. Why did their faith fail? Why would Jesus say they had no faith? We can do things, brothers and sisters. We can do things... In the name of God, without faith. We can do things going through the motions of obedience, but have something else on our heart, some other plan, some other motivation. It could be, we don't know, I will speculate here, it could be the disciples were actually trusting their own strength, their own power, because hey, it had worked in the past. When Jesus had sent them out before, they'd come back rejoicing. That demons had submitted to them in the name of Jesus. They had seen people healed. They'd seen it done before. They'd done it before. Maybe they were trusting in their own power. Maybe they were faced with a bigger challenge than they'd faced before, and they were intimidated. You know, as Mark tells the story, we see that the the, uh, boy was throwing himself down and, and having convulsions and screaming on the spot right in front of them. Maybe the disciples see that and they're like, whoa. This is out of our league. We don't know. We don't know why Jesus says they have no faith. But one question we have to deal with, how do we know they didn't have faith? Is it because they didn't get an answer? Is is, is it because they failed? Is that how we say, well, they didn't get what they tried to do, therefore they had no faith? No. No, because to say that would then be saying, every time we pray, if God does not give us what we pray for, then we had no faith. Every time we attempt something for God, if if it fails, it's because we have no faith. Paul prayed earnestly and with great faith for his own self to be healed. And the Lord said no. Jesus prayed in the garden that there would be some other way to fulfill the the Father's plan without going to the cross. Would we say he had no faith because his prayer was not answered? No. We would not dare say that. An unanswered prayer does not equal lack of faith. Unanswered prayer simply means, well, it could mean many things, but it could simply mean that God's perfect will for you follows a different path. The reason we know that they had no faith was for one reason only, because Jesus said so. Jesus, who knows their hearts, said, guys, I I know, I know it's on your heart. You, You didn't have the faith to do this. So why does faith fail? But we can say this, faith doesn't fail. 
Faith doesn't fail. We fail to have faith. Faith doesn't fail because it's not the amount or strength of faith that accomplishes anything. It is the object of our faith that does the job. And as long as our faith is in God Almighty, then faith does not fail to accomplish its purpose. But to understand that better, we have to look at our third question. How much faith is enough? How much faith is enough to answer this question Jesus says in verse 20, Truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. How much is enough? Just a mustard seed's worth. How much is a mustard seed? It's about as big as a dot, like a crumb. Jesus is not making a point about amounts here. He's not saying you need this much. Because amounts don't matter. That's his point. Many of us have a view of faith that sees faith as a kind of substance, something you have, something you possess in greater or lesser amounts, like, like the fuel in your car. You know, do I have enough fuel to get me from here to Jacksonville? Okay, no, I need to fill up. Uh, or, or if you play video games, it's like the power bar up on the screen telling you like how much energy or strength your character has left. And with every hit and every trial, that bar goes down. But if you, know, you get an energy pack and it builds up, do I have enough faith to accomplish this thing I'm trying to accomplish? But that's not how faith works. I've explained it before in this way, and I'll do it again because this is how I wrap my mind around it. Um, if you are trying to cross a bridge, and you are not sure if that bridge will hold you, and I realized this morning that the last time I used this illustration was before we had problems at the bridge over there. Is that the right way? Over there. Yeah, I can see it from here. Yeah, before that bridge started cracking and crumbling, imagine now you want to go up on the bridge and you're not sure if it holds you. Does it matter how much you believe? If you have a great and mighty faith that that bridge will hold you, is the bridge any stronger for it? If you have a weak and uncertain and frightened faith that that bridge might not be able to hold you, does that make the bridge any weaker? No, brothers and sisters, it does not. Because faith does not change what's true. Change comes not to what's true, but to what you do. Faith does not change what's true, it changes what you do. It doesn't change your reality, it changes your response. What matters then is not the amount of your faith, but what you do with it. The object of it. Where is your faith directed? It's not how much faith you have, it's what your faith is in. That's what Jesus is saying here. Faith, as we said at the beginning, is acting upon God's direction, God's reality. What God says is true. And Jesus is saying, look, with God, all things are possible. And then to explain that, he picks the most outrageous thing someone in his culture could suggest. Jesus wasn't coming up with this. This is, this is all throughout Jewish literature and, and the literature of the times. Moving a mountain. He says, yeah, even this is possible. So why don't we see more Christians involved in massive landscaping? Is it because we do not have faith? Why aren't mountains moving? I was talking with somebody about this after the first service. Why is it that in all these years of, of, of Christians walking the earth, not one mountain has been displaced from one place to another. Does that therefore mean that none of us have faith? 
No, because that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not the point at all. He's mentioning the mountains as a literary device. Yes, we believe it literally. We believe Scripture literally. But sometimes to believe it literally, we have to believe a literal figure of speech. Like when it says the arm of the Lord did something. We don't believe a giant arm came down from heaven and accomplished something. We believe that the most outrageous, greatest, insane things are possible. Because it is God that does it, not us. Whatever you need to do in faith, how can it compare to moving a mountain? It can't. It can be done. The reason Jesus tells us this is to change the conversation. The disciples, if you recall from verse 19, the disciples were focused on what can be done. They said, why couldn't we do it? As if it was a question of possibility. And Jesus teaches us that with God, the issue is never a question of possibility. Anything can be done. Can this relationship be fixed and restored? Yes, nothing is impossible. Can this body that is sick be healed? Yes, nothing is impossible. Can this child turn away from their destructive lifestyle? Yes, anything is possible. Mark's version of this story in Mark 9 includes a little bit more on this. As the father comes to Jesus, he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus latches on to that word can. If I can, if you can, all things are possible. Possibility is never the question. The father was concerned about whether or not Jesus was able to help. Brothers and sisters, let us never underestimate God Almighty. It's not just a name that was thrown together out of random letters. Almighty. Almighty. All things are possible. With God, there is never a question of if you can. That's what Jesus is saying here. The God of the universe can do anything. And our faith is the connection of obedience we have to what He can and will do. That doesn't mean that if we don't like the view outside of our window, we just start rearranging it by faith. Instead, it means that if the Lord wants a mountain to be moved and tells us to go move it, it can be done. We never say, but Lord, can it happen? It can. And so as we consider the commands of God, as we consider His vision for our lives and for His kingdom, some of those things may seem beyond credible for us, unattainable, outside the realm of possibility. That we would see our very desires change. The desires that have, have bound us to sin for so long. The desires that have become addictions. The desires we can't escape from. They will change. That we would see nations bow down before the Lord. It will happen. That we could learn to love our enemies and that the hardest, coldest heart, most hostile to the Gospel would be changed. All these things can be done. Nothing is impossible but not because we have enough faith to do it. Because it's not our faith that changes it. Faith doesn't change what's true. Faith changes what you do. To illustrate that, I, I thought of, you know, there's so many movies that talk about faith and so many of them do it poorly. But I want to draw two comparisons from two different movies. A Tale of Two Bridges. There's a children's movie that came out in the past year or so called Onward. And it's, you know, 
a story filled with magic and wizards and weird stuff like that. And, and there's a scene where one of the characters who's just beginning to learn magic is trying to cross a canyon with a cr- incredibly deep drop. Like, you know, if you fall, you're going to die sort of thing. And he's got to get across. And he's told by kind of his mentor, he's like, you have to believe with every step. You have to believe with each step that you're creating a bridge. And if you stop believing, you fall. The bridge disappears and you fall. But if you believe, it will happen. You see, that's the false view of faith that so many of us have. That that the amount of our faith can change and reshape reality and make something happen. But it depends on our faith. If we believe hard enough, it'll happen. Then there's another movie, another bridge, Indiana Jones. In the Last Crusade, there's a scene where, similar thing, Indiana Jones has to get across this giant chasm. He will plummet to his death if he doesn't have a way to cross it. But lives depend on it. He has to get across. And the instructions he's been given, I think there's some symbolism here too that I'd love to get into. The, the word that he has been given tells him that he has to cross. He's got to, I just know I'm going to fall one of these times. <laughs> tells him he has to step out into the emptiness and a bridge will be there. And he's thinking, there's nothing there. And he's a man of science. He's he's not a man of faith, but he's got to do it. Lives depend on it. And the word has told him that that he will be safe. And so he takes a step and surprises himself by standing on solid ground and walks across. And as the camera is a masterful piece of cinematography, as the camera zooms out, you see that a narrow stone bridge was cleverly disguised to look just like the rocks across the way. And there's no way you could have seen it. But it was there all along. Did his faith change what was there? No. Did his faith make something appear that wasn't there before? No. What did his faith do? It got him onto the bridge that was already there. Faith didn't change what was real or true. Faith changed what he did in response to what he understood and believed to be real and true. And that, brothers and sisters, is at the heart of the gospel itself. Too many of us have heard a false gospel that turns faith into something we do, something we need to strain and strive to to increase, even when it comes to salvation. That God has done everything necessary for your salvation, but you still have to believe. You still need to come up with faith to contribute. But Ephesians 2.8 says that by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is the gift of God, not your doing. It's God's gift. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. Here's why it's so dangerous to think that I have to come up with my faith to believe. Because on the days when I don't believe, on the days when when I doubt, on the days when I've got questions, brothers and sisters, and I have questions. On the days when my heart is not there. Have I lost what I gained by faith? If I believe that it's my faith that gets me salvation, then I've lost it all. and need to regain it somehow. But you can't lose what was given to you. Not by your own doing which is your faith and your salvation. My brothers and my sisters, you are not saved by faith. You are not saved 
by your faith. You were saved by Jesus. You were saved by what He did. You are saved by His sacrifice. You are saved by His resurrection. You are saved by the loving hand of the Father that raised you from death. You're not saved by your faith. Your faith hears that and says, okay, now what? How do I live? How now then should I live in response to this? That's what faith does. It makes none of it true. It instead leads you in your response to all that God says is true. Why then is faith needed? Because you could not have figured this out on your own. This is not human wisdom. This is not you on your best day figuring out God. You are saved by the plan and wisdom of God which He shows you and calls you to. Why does faith fail? It only fails when it's not directed to God. When it lacks when it's not there to begin with. How much is enough? Enough to do what God commands because it is not the amount of your faith. You need to hear this if you've heard nothing else. It's the, not the amount of your faith that does anything. It's the object of your faith. It's the one you believe in. Not the believer. He will do it because He is God Almighty. And the faith that follows the smallest or largest command that He gives, the faith that lives according to what He has spoken, that faith, that faith is enough. Let's pray that that faith would be real in our hearts and in our lives today. We pray, Heavenly Father, for hearts of faith. Truly, it is a gift. It is You who works in us to will and to act according to Your purpose. Build in us such trust and obedience that all that You have spoken to us all that You have called us to do, we will do. Thank You, Heavenly Father, that it is not up to us to do these things. That it is not our strength or weakness of faith that changes the world. It is God Almighty. And thank You, Father, that You include us in these things. Grant us the faith to walk in them by Your Holy Spirit that is with us. We pray these things in our Savior's name.